Daddy, the ground's next door. I have a new car. You should see it. Well, what's the matter with our car? Isn't it good enough for you? Yes, Daddy. Excuse me. Excuse me. Excuse you for what? I burp. All right, tell me your excuse. Now go on upstairs and take little Zuzu up to you. Well, what's the matter with Zuzu? Well, she's got a cold. She's in bed. Caught it coming home from school. They gave her a flower for a prize, and she didn't want to crush it, so she didn't button up her coat. What is it, sore throat or what? Just a cold. The doctor said it's The doctor? Was the doctor here? Yes, I called him right away. Is she running at temperature? What is that? Just a teensy one. Ninety-nine six. She'll be all right. I guess it's this old house type of... I don't know why we don't all have no more here. Drafty old farm. I will be living in a refrigerator. Why do we have to live here in the first place and stay around this measly, crummy old town? George, what's wrong? Wrong everything, Tor. You call this a happy family. Why do we have to have all these kids? Dad, how do you spell Frank and I don't know. I asked your mother. Where are you going? Why don't you see Zeus? Well, we'll be right at place tomorrow. Maybe you've been there. You've been right at the end of your wits. You've been right at the end of everything is going wrong in your life. You wanted more out of what your life has become. And there you are, standing in the middle of your kitchen going, why is it that we have to live here? Why is it that I have to be married to you? Why is it that we have to have these kids? Why is it that we have to live in this town? Why don't we just go somewhere and do something? You wanted something more. Christmas season has that way of doing that to us, doesn't it? We find ourselves drinking at the well of the monster of more. I want more time. I want more adventure. I want more opportunity. I just want more. And so, with all of the more monster around us, with the well so present in the 21st century, at Christmas time, I want to challenge you with the text that instead of looking at more, challenge us to learn a little bit about being okay with less. Go ahead and go to Philippians chapter 4. That's where we're going to begin our time. Page 820 in the Bibles in front of you, Philippians chapter 4. You see, Paul finds himself in a situation that perhaps none of us would like to be in. I don't know that if we looked at Paul's life, he would say that uh, he looked forward to this. But Paul has found himself in a prison cell. Not just any prison cell, but a Roman prison cell in the first century. Uh, what that means is that there's no cable television in prison. There's no three square meals a day in prison. Your help comes from outside, and Paul's only lifeline is the church. And the Philippian church, in particular, has begun to help him out. Has helped him out in a number of ways, and he's coming to the end of this letter that he writes to them, and he wants to thank them. He, he wants to say, hey, thank you so much uh, for being willing uh, to come in and do those kinds of things for me, but he wants them to know something else, something else that stretches their faith. In Philippians chapter 4, I want you to hear these words that Paul writes. Verse 10. I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. 
Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Now, I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content, whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Uh, The key phrase there is, I have learned contentment. Have you ever recognized how hard it is to learn contentment? Uh, You see, even the Apostle Paul, even this this man from the Lord, right, uh, who was the the great apostle to the Gentiles, who planted all sorts of churches, who who could preach uh, uh, extremely well, who who would go into synagogues and he would preach so well, in fact, that, uh, that people would respond, right? Sometimes in a good way, and sometimes they tried to drive him out of the city and stone him. We're talking about someone who knew, who recognized what it is that God does. And, and he's saying, I, I had to learn contentment. How many of us need to learn contentment here this morning? You want to know what contentment is? Contentment is finding joy in living with less. Contentment is finding joy and living with less. And, and we want to take out our paintbrushes and we just want to uh, take broad brush strokes of being okay with what, where we are regardless of life's circumstance. What I'm inviting you to, into this morning is what I think Paul is inviting us into and that is to strengthen and grow our faith by saying, I will be a part of learning contentment. I will try. I will not only try. I will do. I will find ways of finding joy in living with less. When life is not what you want it to be, when you walk into that kitchen and you think, why do I have to live here? Why do I have to have this job? Why is it that I have these children? Why is it that I have to go out and and, uh, uh, drive that car? The difficulty with contentment is all around us, isn't it? All we have to do is turn on our television and there's some brand new car uh, beckoning to us telling us how wonderful our life will be if we just had that car. Have you ever had car envy? Okay, maybe I'm the only one. You walk out into the parking lot, right? You're like, oh, that's a nice... mm." And then it gets a little worse, right? You go over to your friend's house and they're like, guess what? We just got, oh. You want to sit in it? No, not really. <laughs> Some of us, it's not cars, it's homes, right? Ladies, maybe, maybe you have, have, have made a house a home, but you go over to somebody else's house and, and it's a little bigger than yours. And they have a little more tile floor and a little more wood floor than you have at your house. They have a little more basement than you have at your house. And it's a little more finished than what your husband has made at your house. And you were very satisfied with your house before going over to the other house. And you walk out of the house going, I wish I had that house. 
it's hard to learn contentment. It's hard to learn contentment financially. Sometimes it's hard to learn contentment vocationally. I work harder than that person over there, and they get paid more than me. I want a better paying job. I want a job that I can enjoy more. That's not fair. Sometimes we, we have, have to learn contentment relationally, don't we? Some of you might be single. And you're going, I hate involuntary singleness. This is not right. How is it that that person can find the right person? And, and I'm over here and I've tried for years and I think I'm pretty nice. And involuntary singleness keeps visiting me. Or maybe it's the opposite for you, and you think, man, I'm married, and I thought I married this person. And <laughs> My wife's listening to this. <laughs> Contentment can be hard. Perhaps you've known people that, that uh, have not been able to have children. And they've tried and they've tried and they've spent thousands of dollars and yet it doesn't seem to be for them what the Lord would have for them. that They would have to consider adopting or maybe foster care and yet they wrestle with that decision and in the inability to have children, their life finds discontentment. Maybe you've wanted to just live somewhere else. If I were just living on the right side of the tracks in that particular neighborhood, there's all kinds of areas in which our life can be filled with discontent. And yet Paul says here, hey, I want your life to be about contentment. Learn it. Now there's this great verse at the end of the passage that I read earlier, verse 13. It finds its way on all sorts of posters, and, and some people might even quote it entirely out of context. Let me, let me help you here. Verse 13, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Gang, this is not about you having the speed of Superman. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. This is not about you being able to leap small buildings in a single bound. Right? I wanted, as a high school student, to dunk a basketball. It has never happened. And I believe this verse to be true. What Paul is talking about when he says, I can do everything through him who gives me strength is whether I have much or I have none at all. He is trying to tell us that if our faith in him is greater, right? If it is enough, then what he is going to provide for us is the kind of strength we need to be content in any and all situations, you win, he can bring contentment. You lose, he can bring contentment. So for you Iowa fans this morning, he can bring contentment. I'm sorry, I had to. It, <laughs> I can do all things through him who gives me strength. It is a verse that is wrapped up with contentment. You want to learn contentment? Allow your faith to grow, trusting him so that he can strengthen you to be content, to be content. Instead of thinking about more, I want you to focus your behavior on spending less. One of the ways I think that we can begin to try and wrap our mind to grow our faith uh, up just a little bit 
is to be aware of what we're spending in the Christmas season. Right? Last week, we talked relationally. We said, hey, what if we decided that Christ were actually to be the center? Right? Uh, what if he were to be the center? We said uh, relationships have a way of ch- impacting us, reorienting us, refocusing us on what's really important, what's meaningful. And, and in that, right, if we're willing to place Christ in the center, then we can worship fully. And this week, I want to... to to focus in on this idea of contentment and just say, hey, what is it that you could practically do to spend less? Next week, we're going to say, what could we practically do to give more? And what I'm suggesting is not going to be giving more presents, not more stuff, not more toys, but more of myself. You need to know contentment. We need to learn it together. Spend less, give more. You see, Christ's coming, if you're here this morning, then I I hope that you recognize that Christ's coming has changed the world forever. And as disciples of Jesus, we have this unbelievable opportunity every single year to begin to act on what people celebrate. And if we're acting on what people celebrate, then we have the opportunity to say, hey, you know what, world, Uh, this Christmas season is far more than a bunch of empty boxes and wrapping paper. If your house looks anything like mine on Christmas morning, you know what happens? Uh, There's a bunch of empty boxes and you start stuffing the paper in a big trash bag and it goes out to the corner and it's lost. The moment's over. And we have something that we possess that is far greater than that. It's more than just empty boxes and wrapping paper. And so it's here. When we say, I am willing to spend less, it's here where we're willing to say, I'm willing to learn the kind of contentment that only comes from the Lord. It's here where where we can say, I want to enter into the Christmas story. I want to sit with Mary and Joseph. I want to sit there in the corner, and I want to see it. I want to feel it as Mary has a visit from an angel. I want to see Joseph's face as the angel comes and visits him. I want to know uh, the fear in his eyes when, when that happens. I want to sit with them as they hold Jesus for the very first time. I want to listen with the shepherds as, as they hear this shocking announcement. I want to come in with the wise men. I want to bow down and worship. I want to find contentment. I don't need more. I don't need to drink at the well of the monster of more. I need Christ. And so perhaps this rethinking Christmas is about finding joy and having less. And maybe we can do that in our spending. Now there's another text that might inform our contentment. Philippians chapter 4 is certainly a good one. Flip over now to 1 Timothy chapter 6. You can find that on page 831 in the Bibles in front of you. Now Paul is speaking to a promising church in Ephesus, right? It's one of the wealthiest cities in the ancient world. The problem is that there are some false teaching going on and there are some people who are being robbed of the truth. Right? They're being robbed of an opportunity to trust in God, and they have this notion that somehow godliness will, will find its way into financial gain. 
And I want you to hear what he says. Look at verse 6 in chapter 6. Godliness with contentment is great gain. Godliness with contentment, coupled with contentment, is great gain. What is it that is really wealth? What does it mean to be wealthy? What does it mean to have great gain? Great gain, contentment, is coupled with godly character. You want to spend less, you want to give more, you want to have that kind of life that you say, you know what, whatever happens, win, lose, or draw, I can find contentment in who God is. I can celebrate fully because Christ is at the center. Have godly character. It's the look of a mother who volunteers because she desires to impress the Lord on her children. It's a father who says, you know what, I'm going to make sure that my children look at me and they, have, and they have read the Bible with me out loud. That they have heard me pray. Uh, that they recognize who it is that, that Jesus Christ is. I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that they grow up in an environment uh, where Christ is held high. Uh, Maybe it's a neighbor who says, I am going to do whatever I can to serve those around me. And when the opportunity arises, I'm going to tell them about the kind of contentment that I live with because I know Jesus. I'm going to stop running the rat race and I'm going to live with the kind of character that other people recognize and then tell them about it when the opportunity comes. This last week, I was grading through an assignment for many of my students. And the students had all in this one section of a paper uh, had to begin to tell just a little bit about their life. I wanted to, to hear about who they were and the, the kinds of things that, uh, that could be obstacles to them when they come to Scripture. And I wanted them to recognize it too. And over and over again, uh, as, I, as I opened up this particular question and read through what they had to say, uh, it was parents who came to the forefront. And it was good and it was bad. And what they had to say was, you know what, my parents were godly people and they showed me and they modeled it for me. And, and, and I'm here because of them and they're my stalwarts and they're my rock. And then on the other end it was, my parents got divorced when I was young and, and they were always fighting. You know what, Not, nowhere in there, nowhere in there, gang. Not a single student, when they were asked about their influences in their life, went, yeah, I have great parents, but they didn't buy me enough stuff. Nowhere in there did they say, yeah, I love my parents. They're great. Uh, They're godly people, but they just didn't buy me enough for Christmas. They understand at a deep level what it is to be content. What they were saying was godly character with contentment. That's what we're really after. That's what real wealth is. This last week, Joel and I, uh, we took the kids to uh, Chick-fil-A. And uh, they, Chick-fil-A was offering, um, Chick-fil-A was offering this, uh, this um, you know, what do you call them, fundraiser. And... Um, it was for Lydia's school, and so we went to Chick-fil-A, and, 
you know, it would have been cheaper for me just to, you know, spend the $27 and give it to the school, but uh, we went to Chick-fil-A, and, and it was interesting, you know, there we were waiting for our food, and, and, I, and I saw on a sign real close to the register, Truett Cathy died last year, he was the founder of Chick-fil-A, and they had, you know, something about him and his life and uh, that he was the founder of Chick-fil-A, but what I thought was interesting was Truett Cathy made uh, you know, no, uh, no bones about being a Christian. Chick-fil-A is closed on Sunday for that very reason. Uh, you know, loses out on millions of dollars of revenue every year because it's closed on Sunday. And at the bottom, at the bottom of this particular poster, it was Proverbs 22.1. This is how it reads. A good name is more desirable than riches, It's to be esteemed better than silver or gold. And I thought, yes, that's what we're after. We're after living a life of such a contentment that whether I have great or I have a little, I can say a good name, a godly character, that's what really matters. Gang, what I'm challenging you to this morning is to spend less, to give more of what really matters to learn the art of contentment. It's really simple. If we continue to drink at the well of the monster of more, we're going to be susceptible to being robbed of truth, to forfeiting the truth. In the end, we don't get to take our stuff with us. We don't get to take it with us. Look at verse 7. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. Our stuff does not come with us. We can enjoy some stuff. I'm not saying don't buy some stuff. We can enjoy some stuff. We can play with stuff. We can have fun with some stuff. Uh, We can legitimately use good stuff. But none of it do we get to keep. Several years ago, uh, I heard a, a sermon by a guy by the name of John Ortberg. I love the image that he, he played in my mind. He said, uh, you know, there was uh, this time when my grandmother and I, we loved to play Monopoly together. And I could never beat my grandmother. And finally, the occasion happened. And I wiped the board with my grandmother And as he's relaying the story, he said, I wanted to celebrate in the moment. I wanted to make, you know, this, I wanted to bronze the board, you know, make it, you know, so that everybody would recognize, you know, set up a pile of stones right there so that every time you pass by, you could say, this is the place where I beat my grandmother. And then he said this. He said, the hard lesson is at the end of the game, It all goes back in the box. All the hotels, all the houses, all the money, all the property, it all gets packed up and it goes back in the box and it sits back on the shelf for another time. Learn contentment. Because at the end of the game, it all goes back in the box. And so what I'm challenging you to, what I'm trying to get you to see, spend less so that you can give more. 
You all have that one gift, right? At least one. I mean, I hope that we can get a, a grasp on we're talking about contentment even more than we're just talking about crossing off one gift on a list. Uh, but, but we can start with one. Right? We can start with that one gift that we're giving out of obligation because we feel guilty about it. And it's going to be a piece of junk anyway, but we feel like we have to. Cross that one off the list. And say, I'm crossing it off because I want to be content. I want to spend differently. I want to place Christ in the center of my spending so that I can say I am living with contentment. I'm going to encourage others to do the same. You see, the alternative is to live in discontentment. And discontentment means that we are misplacing where Jesus is in life. Look at verse 9 and 10. Paul says these rather hard things. He says, people who want to get rich fall into temptation. It's a trap. A trap into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. These aren't, these aren't flowering words. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. They're falling. They're being plunged into despair. They're wandering. You know, it's a trap, he says. It's a trap. You know where I set traps? I set traps in my garage for these little creatures that run around. Some of them aren't as little as others. And it's got a large spring on it, and I spring it back, and I smear some cheese or some peanut butter on that little thing, and I thought... I hope you come. (laughs) But what's it designed to do? To kill. You see, what this little varmint thinks is that this is going to be good for them, and in the end, it's really bad. What Paul is saying is, Living a life of discontentment is a trap. You might think it's good, it's going to make things better, but it's not. Recently, I have been uh, rehearsing, my, re- rehearsing myself, uh, reviewing a wonderful movie, The Lord of the Rings. And there's this disgusting little creature in The Lord of the Rings. He kind of slouches around and talks in a funny voice and has these big beady eyes. Schmeagle. Gold. Gold. But what we find out about Schmeagel is that Schmeagel wasn't always so discontent with his life. It was discontentment that robbed him of his life. And I wonder if we're any better. If we try and live lives of discontentment without being robbed of something that God wants to give. You see, contentment is the existence of having joy in living with less. It means we have to accept God's provision. Uh, Look at verse 8 in this particular text. He says, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. If we have food and clothes, yeah, that's good. We're good. We're good with that. How many of us are good with that? 
Food and clothes, yeah, that's enough. That's good. Presents, nah. Wrapping paper, nah. Home, ah. I got food and clothes. It's good. A couple years ago, in a similar challenge, CIY put out cards, and one of the cards said, don't buy any new clothes for a year. How many clothes do you have hanging in, in your closet right now? How many shoes do you have in front of it? No new clothes for a year. Have you ever been overseas? I've had the opportunity to be overseas, and it's always striking to me that um, oftentimes people have two pairs of clothes. I can count them on one hand. One's a nice pair that they go to church on Sunday, if they're a Christian. And the other is the pair that they work in all week long. Two. And so the challenge for students was to say, will you live with contentment by recognizing what you already have? Maybe you and I need to take that same challenge. I'm not going to buy any new clothes for a year. I want to make this a practice of recognizing what it is that God's given. I wonder, uh, will you be willing to curve your desire for more by being willing to spend less? To say, I am going to be one who celebrates Christ in this area of my life. I'm going to let contentment win. Several years ago, I was uh, uh, friends. We, uh, there was this, uh, it was a small town, not unlike Wadding, and we had a little hardware store. It was called Kerr Hardware. And there was a group of ladies that worked in Kerr Hardware, and, and it was uh, this time of year, and I was asking about Christmas presents, and, and they said something about a, 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 you know, one of these uh, present exchanges in their workplace. And I said, yeah, tell me about that. And they said, you know what? We used to do that, and we'd buy stupid stuff for each other. You know, it was a, it was a candle, right? Like when you don't know what to get, you, you buy a candle for some reason. I'm not sure why. But, but you, you buy a candle. So we'd, we'd all, like, get together and exchange, like, $15 candles and, you know, and, and, and eat. And that's what we would do. And they said, you know, it just seemed to not be working. Like, there's got to be something more significant than, than as an office getting together and buying each other a bunch of candles that we don't need because we still have three from the last three years of Christmases. And so they decided to pull all the money that they were otherwise going to spend on worthless candles as, as an entire group uh, and decided uh, that they would take that money and give it to someone in their community who was most in need. That's contentment. That's finding joy in living with less. It's not earth-shattering. It's small. It's a gesture that just says uh, to groups of folks, I am going to live a content life. And the kingdom grows out of it. So can I say it just one more time what I'm challenging you to? Spend less. Spend less in some way. Find Christ at the center of your being and be content. 
It's the best movie that's ever been made. Ever. And I want you to see the kind of contentment that George learns. Watch this. Oh, 